Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following episode of Screen Talk was recorded in front of a live audience during the 2017 New York Film Festival. Okay, uh, good evening everybody. Um, welcome to part two of NYFF Live. Um, these talks, as a reminder, are every night during the festival, um, beginning at 7 p.m. Um, some nights we have two, um, including tomorrow night. Uh, at 7 p.m. we will have editors from Film Comment here. Um, they'll have uh, guest uh, critics um, to give their lowdown on the New York Film Festival. And at 8 p.m. tomorrow, we will have uh, the filmmaker Serge Brazon with Isabella Huppert um, here to talk about their film, Mrs. Hyde, so I hope you can join us. And always, uh, please check out filmlink.org for all the events New York Film Festival related and year-round. So, I get to introduce my dear friends and former colleagues. I worked at IndieWire for a very long time, and I'm still a fan, still a reader. So, without further ado, please welcome editors from IndieWire, Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson, as they do their podcast. Since we've been here, right? It has. It, it feels like just yesterday, though. I feel like, you know, on some level, we're just sort of sitting in our living room having a conversation. Not exactly. <laughs> but it is nice to have some eye contact. Usually it's sort of the, the, the distance of be talking on two coasts about movies does change the terms of things. You don't get to see me get so infuriated that I throw my coffee across the room, for example, or when or I try to ring his across. neck. Yeah. Exactly. So let's get into it because I think it's really great to see such a nice crowd here on a Saturday night. Thank you for taking it. Kapoor. I exactly. guess it's over though, let's, right? Let's, we're yeah. breaking the fast through conversation. And uh, but what I think is really interesting about it is that this is a there's always lots of people running around this festival. You come here and, and you see people socializing, you see people going to screenings, there's parties going around the neighborhood. It's very much uh, in tune with the social element of New York film culture itself, which brings me to you, somebody who's here from Los Angeles. So maybe we should start by talking a little bit about the kind of the bigger picture here. What What is it that compels somebody to come to New York Film Festival and look at the movies and, and look at the bigger picture that isn't just about New York and about hanging out here and being a New Yorker? I grew up here. And the New York Film Festival was always this beginning of the fall season, a little nip in the air, a little excitement. And it makes me happy. The opening night party at Tavern on the Green, first of all, Last Flag Flying, Rick Linklater's new movie, Brian Cranston, checking that out, figuring out how that's going to go in the overall scheme of things. And just seeing the entire New York film community assembled in one place, all at once, People including my Indiewire colleagues. For a reason, you know, it's sort of like you're in this 360 view of what the New York scene really is, and as much as this, you know, we all know each other, we don't get a chance to be in the same room together. It was fun. It was and it really was also fun. interesting to see that there was a little bit of the Austin film scene there that came totally. out. Totally, they all to came and support the Pearsons, 
Louis Black, you know, everybody from South by Southwest. It was a, they were there to support their man. So that small kind of intimate nature of the film scene, in some ways, you don't always think about it in the same context as, say, a big opening night birth and the conversations that fuels the media attention and the possibility that this could be an awards contest. Right, so the thing about uh, the New York Film Festival is that it gives and it takes away. It's a really big, classy prestigious birth for a lot of films to get in is a, is a good thing. But if you're Ben Stiller with uh, the Walter Mitty movie or uh, Gone Girl, maybe, which ended up only getting something for Rosamund Pike, you can be mercilessly uh, addressed by the critics. You can. You, this is a highbrow New York smart critic pool. It's not the same as Toronto. But I think in some ways there, there is value in that, in that there are certain movies that wouldn't necessarily stand out any other way. So a, a, a Linkletter movie, a very, very kind of sweet, chatty, intellectual film about war veterans isn't necessarily going to have the same profile at a festival like Toronto, which has 255 movies and it's just so overwhelming. All right, so, so opening night in New York, let's address what let's happened last, you know opening night. I mean, this is a movie that has been welcomed by some critics. It's thoughtful. It is. It has ideas on its mind. It has three great actors who do really well with these performances. It's a weird echo, not exactly a sequel to The Last Detail, you know, the, the great Hal Ashby movie with... So you have... Um, Brian Cranston playing a character that is not the same character as the Jack Nicholson sort character. Sort of communing with that yeah, character. But, but he's changed it. They've, they've altered it. They've, they've changed the timeline. But I wonder how this movie is going to play. It is, it's almost one of those films where you go, what is it really about? You didn't really like it. Let's just come I love it. the movie. I do. Okay. I respect Linklater. But I recognize from talking to all the people at the party and talking to people around town since then that it isn't a movie that's going to necessarily resonate. Well, I think you know, it resonates with the people who want that experience. Veterans I mean, you have to, you will have to, respond no to it. No question about it. But that, Bob that, that, Bernie at Amazon is capable of taking it out across the country and getting an audience for it. But I don't think it's an awards contender. Yeah, I think that in, in many ways, the awards conversation actually hurts a movie like this. It's, sort of, it's an interesting kind of that. challenge because when you look at that crowd that comes out for opening night, it's actually, it's great because it's great to see Linkletter take his capacity to sort of delve into the intellectual process of somebody going through a transitional stage in their life at a, do a totally different stage. You know, we're usually... You're talking about older, older veterans. Older people. We usually see them deal with young younger people. veterans. Yeah. And you're talking about Vietnam War and Iraq War and you're talking, right? Yeah, I mean, this is the first time in a while we've seen so, them deal with that generation. No, no, it's, 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 it's valid. It's all good. I just don't, when you set yourself up as the opening night of the New York Film Festival, you sort of have to hit a home run to get where you, to get that awards conversation going. That's not the only thing. Right. But so when there, you don't make it to that, yeah. it's, it's harder. It hurts. It hurts. So we should talk a little bit more about Amazon and, and the Bob Burning question since you brought it up because Amazon has all three major slots at so this So I spoke festival. to Ken Jones, who's the director of the New York Film Festival, about that today. And he said that they actually booked the three films more or less in order of, of 
they're showing. One of them, of course, Wonderstruck was at Cannes. So the world premieres, which he booked first, were Last Flag Flying and the Woody Allen. And Bob Burney, who I spoke to at the at the party, was thrilled to have all three films in the New York Film it's a Festival. Coup, but yeah. it's also, it's not surprising the least, you know, it's like one of those things that we've been sort of slowly building towards over the years, which is just that the landscape for who produces certain kinds of movies that aren't necessarily going to be made by studios has shifted radically, and Amazon may be the new standard bearer for a certain kind of specialty release. And you see it illustrated just all across the map. I mean, Richard Linkletter made a movie with Amazon. His next movie is going to be released Which by Amazon. a movie, Amber. by the way, that took 10 years to get made and might not have ever been made without Ted Hope. Yeah, good Amazon. luck pitching a, a story about a bunch of old veterans to yeah. Paramount or right. something like that. So but I think are, they're still in the theatrical marketplace as opposed to Netflix, which, of course, doesn't have to deal with that. So Netflix has a bunch of stuff here. So they have Meyerowitz stories here. And they also have Mudbound. Correct. So those movies, a very interesting question, different kinds of challenges, one being a, a very New York kind of neurotic no bound Woody back. Woody Allen comedy. kind of movie. Yeah, exactly, Woody Allen-ish, although it's bound back-ish. We should give him credit. He's got a body of work and all that stuff. Mudbound, totally different period piece about race in the South, you know, it's a You could uh, argue that the um, Sundance movies that are here and the Cannes movies that are here, and we do have to suggest that many of the movies at New York Film Festival are coming from other festivals. There aren't that many new titles here. They Almost need a none. boost. They need a boost from the media crowd here. They need a boost to get where they want to go. And so Call Me By Your Name from Sony, Mudbound from Netflix, Meriwitz Stories from Netflix, and uh, Florida Project from Cannes, which and is A24, and Wonderstruck from Cannes. They all need a boost. They need people to t say, this is a movie that you have to pay attention to. You're right. They need something to ma that makes them feel a little bit more special. I mean, frankly, when I watched Meyerowitz Stories at Cannes, I, had, I enjoyed it. But it felt like a weird place for that movie. It was so far from home, in a sense. But it also, here, is an interesting conversation because... To think of Meyerowitz stories as something that could be a major fall movie when it's being released by a company that's mostly going to do business with it by releasing it on a platform all over the world, it's, it's an interesting kind of paradox, and I think the festivals are allowing us to kind of study where we're at now with all All right, that. so what Netflix is doing, because they don't have a theatrical um, conventional platform for these movies, is they're using festivals to build the word of mouth and the buzz and the want to see that they would ordinarily be achieving by keeping a movie in theaters weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. So that's the, the question, is whether the New York Film Festival s supplies that, if it really is enough. Do you they think it's enough, one though? week in theaters, that's yeah, you, all they do. Do you do. think that's enough, though, when, when it's really... It's a test. It's, it's a question. It's an experiment. I, we are going to find out. I, I think that it's, it's interesting, though, because I feel like every year we're saying that there's another way that we're experimenting and trying <laughs> to figure these things out. To me, it's like we're, we all get stuck in a bubble, and we kind of forget that, you know, bigger factors are at play in terms of getting these movies noticed. And, you know, you've said many times... The movie needs to be commercially successful to be a big awards contender. It also helps if it's commercially successful for all kinds of different well, reasons. Well, we are going to see. I mean, that's what the New York Film Festival is partly doing. It's getting that word of mouth going, getting the media attention, so that something like, I love Florida Project. I love this movie. I'm a little nervous does about seem, it. Honestly. I am too. Yeah. And it, it does seem to be, it's small and it's, it's, have any of you seen it yet? It hasn't played here yet. It's, it's playing tomorrow. It's, People it's should check really it out. It's really great, and but it's small and it's 
irritating and it's 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 real and it's not but you know what's frustrating me it's not the kind of stuff. movie that, that that is seeking to please but I, but you know what wasn't seeking to please in a traditional sense moonlight right we were here a year ago talking about this movie and i think i said i thought it had that kind of potential but i was rooting at for it sundance for i mean you know no moonlight moonlight is is is, is an example of something that fit we talked about this. It fits into. It, it happened to it hit the, hit the box. It hit all the boxes. But even I think so, Florida Project has a chance. But it, this is where the New York Film Festival is super important. It needs to push that movie out so that people need to see it. Well, and then you have all these documentaries that are coming here. There's a film that I haven't seen yet that, that you were really high on called Jane, for example, which you've been saying is the front runner. It's superb. Right. So Brett Morgan is, uh, you may remember him from the Kurt Cobain movie. And he's a very good, very hard-driving, um, demanding filmmaker. And he's, he's matched with Jane Goodall, who has her own agenda. And there's this extraordinary archive footage from the beginning of her career in Africa, looking at the chimps, when she first started, when she first figured it out and started to commune with them. And what he does with that material and also talking to her is a remarkable achievement. But I guess what, what I'm wondering with that sort of thing is that there are just so many documentaries and all these documentaries are vying for attention and things can change so rapidly on that front. It seems like right now when it comes to the bigger fall season movies, we have a pretty good idea of what we're looking at. By the time New York Film Festival started, Everything had kind of settled, but when it when the doc, these documentaries started no, there's showing. a couple of new documentaries. I would suggest that the documentaries that came out of Sundance, like City of Ghosts and Icarus and Chasing Coral, whether or not they end up don't forget about on the documentary Gore, shortlist, inconvenient sequel. These are movies that got a lot more attention over the course of the year and are therefore being seen by more people, by more critics groups. The, there's a, such a wide range of documentaries in play. Uh, the Doc NYC list just came out. There's a group of 15 films there. The movies breaking here are coming in late. That's, that's the only point I'm making. They, just to get that sort of uh, awareness going so that people know to see them. Where is everything else for the fall? I mean, we have just a few question marks left this point. We've got a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Who knows how that's going to turn out? Probably We've seen Blade Runner. We have seen Blade Runner. So why don't we talk about that? Yeah, let's, let's take a little that. digression from New York Film Festival because we, well, we had a chance to There's speak. one element about Blade Runner, which is that I asked Ken Jones if they had a chance no. to see Blade Runner and book it here, and he said Toronto was supposed to play it, or took it off the table. Well, I mean, so that, Warner so Brothers must have decided made. not to put it in at all, to any festival. That was right. the decision that was made. But they never even got a crack at it here at New York, and it would have been perfect it's for a, this a, festival. It is an easy out, though, to be fair, because if you really want a movie for your festival, you don't just sit around twiddling your thumbs and wait for somebody to put it in front of you. You can fight for the damn thing. To me, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that a New York film festival I'll tell Kennedy you said that. Yeah, he'll, he'll listen to it later. But I do think it's an interesting question of, you know, the Linkletter movie, if you put that in, say, a centerpiece slot, in some ways it would, it would feel like a very natural spot for a movie like that, whereas Blade Runner is an opening night movie and it's... Blind. Had to be. Yeah, and, and yet it doesn't have that 
I would argue it doesn't even necessarily need that because this is a movie that works for some people as an art film and other people as sort of a you know big blockbuster genre experience. So Warner Brothers has this attitude, which is very much uh, overt, that they are only going to go for commercial. Dunkirk, commercial. Later, we'll chase Oscars. And they, this is the lesson they learned one. way back when with The Departed, and they, they have stuck to it ever since. It's been very consistent. This is a case where I think that Blade Runner is a super smart movie, incredibly beautifully made, great visuals, amazing sets. You know, it's just, it's just so smart and so in sync with the original movie. And I think that this audience, this smart demo, this group in New York would have gone for it. It would have been awesome. But I, I think what we see with the release of this movie is a fundamental divide in the way that our culture and studios and cinephiles relate to movies in the sense that Warner Brothers doesn't necessarily think it needs a festival platform for a movie like this. It's showing the movie to fans before anyone else. There's a, all these fan sites were tweeting about the movie before critics could weigh in, which by implication says that the reviews aren't necessarily going to be the thing that really drives people to this movie. I think what's so frustrating about it is and the it, reviews have been very high. The reviews are, I mean, it's a really cool movie. I, if you like the original movie, you will find that that aesthetic has, has traveled nicely. But they the know that the only century. way for this movie to work with the public is for it to work on its own terms. It has to work on its own terms. But what, what, what I'm trying to get at here is I think that there is this assumption that the festival world and, and the movie going public are two totally different things. I don't agree with that. And, and, and I feel like that's maybe part of the problem with. The, the way in which we're talking about the future of movies. You know, the, the, a Netflix movie comes here to New York Film Festival, it has a different identity, and then other people are going to find it elsewhere on Netflix. How do we get to the point where the people who are finding it on Netflix are the same kind of people who might also want to go see it at a film festival? Like, there, it just feels like there's That's something interesting. Fractured. It's interesting that you bring that up, because I had a conversation with someone at dinner, and we were talking about Netflix algorithms... And we were talking, they, and they How were do you saying, talk about it? we don't even know what okay. they are. Okay, so they were saying that nobody had recommended the Angelina Jolie first they killed my father to them on Netflix, and then they said that they only watch TV, they never watch movies on Netflix. And I said, well, if you never watch movies on Netflix, they're not going to recommend Angelina Jolie. Right. So it, it's it's. it's I trust. I do trust the algorithms on Netflix. I do. They're going to show you. That's a very scary thing to trust. They're going to show you. No, they're going to show you what you want to see. Well, I they think know. They, are. they know everything. I mean, that's that's. I think the biggest challenge. It's with up to this. you to use it. We don't know the real data that tells us how people process content anymore. I mean, we know it when it comes to. We know how many people read stories on IndieWire. How much do you watch but, movies on Netflix? Not that much, but I'm, but I'm privileged. Media cube. Yeah, I'm, I'm privileged. I see all this stuff at festivals, and those are the kind of movies I would want to watch anyway. If I want to watch a classic film, maybe I watch it on Filmstruck or something like that. So I'm not a good sample subject in that respect. But I think it's interesting when you talk to people who don't necessarily identify as you know, cinephiles, but they, they, they're serious, cultured people. They do watch a lot of movies on Netflix, and it's a little frustrating because you just don't know whether those people are going to get something good. For example, there are not a lot of great Mexican films on Netflix, and it's frustrating because, you know, I talked to somebody from Mexico the other day, and they like watching films from where they grew up, and they're just watching mediocre stuff. So What I love about the New York Film Festival is that I went to see the Alex Gibney documentary today, and I really uh, liked it, and I'm like <laughs> blanking on the name of it because I'm tired. The movie about the people who got killed in the Irish pub. Yeah. Yeah. No. 
stone unturned. No stone unturned. So this movie's very good. And uh, on the way over to the dinner that I have left to come here, I spoke to Terry George, an Irish filmmaker, who told me how good Narcos was. We were talking about how great it is that on Netflix, so many of these movies are not, uh, you know, subtitled. They're, I mean, they are subtitled. They're in the original language. So what's great about the Cambodian movie that Angelina did is that it's in Cambodian. What's great about Narcos is that it's in Spanish. George Clooney is a fan of Nar Narcos. I, I, do I have think to watch Narcos now. The, the industry is, is responding to the, to the international component of, of Netflix, and, and audiences are as well, because it's just easier to access that stuff than it is to, say, get people to go see a foreign language movie when the initial block is, you know, it's in a foreign language, so that's going well, that's to be more That's what Ted Sarandos said to me once. He said people don't realize that it's in Spanish. They don't even realize it. But you know what? There was a, there's a great movie showing tonight that I can't wait to see again called Zama. Sama. It's an Argentinian uh, Oscar submission from Lucretia Martel. Who, uh, and I'm glad that there, in this room there would be applause for Lucretia Martel. She hasn't made a movie in almost a decade. It was one of the most promising international voices to, to break out what of Latin America. The Headless Woman. Great movie. Really fascinating filmmaker. And, and to me, this is a movie, first of all, it has to be seen in the theater to fully be appreciated. It's very visual and atmospheric and so forth. And that is an event, right? You need to go to see that movie and have that experience just as much as you need to go see Blade Runner on opening weekend. But what's frustrating is that Zama is seen as this sort of obscure art house film, and Blade Runner is a big genre movie, and that's more exciting to people. So how do we get to that point where we can erase that boundary? Netflix is actually part of the solution in my humble op, you know? Right, you so can but we be need to a translate smart... that to the theatrical world, too. Somewhere. No, the theatrical world is dying. <laughs> It's not going to happen. It's not going to change. It's I, not I think going you're wrong. to get I think better. You're wrong. Because, and the reason why is because the, the art house community is, I think, more robust and has, in much of the way you've seen this country come together under dire circumstances, when people are struggling, they work harder as a community to make things work. And I've seen gone that to the art house convergence, which is a wonderful thing that occurs every January before Sundance where all the art house exhibitors get together and they're very smart and they're very wily. And they're and not they dying. they will survive and they're not dying. Okay. But if Correct you think record. there is a future growth potential for foreign films in the theatrical marketplace, that is an unusual thing to consider. Well, what I think might be an interesting future for us to ponder is here we are in Lincoln Center, you know, not too far away from the Met Opera, the idea of movie theaters as, as sort of something that's more of a prestige experience. Maybe you don't go all the time, but when you go, you get this great experience that it could be that kind of a thing. They're showing for the first time this movie, The Opera, at the opera tomorrow night. That's going to be a big deal here. Exactly. So, so everything's kind of blurring together in that respect. And I think it's a fascinating time to scrutinize these things because there are multiple generations that are sort of relevant here. Right? You have the, the aging boomer audience that people say, that's that's the one that art house distributors rely on. So the leisure but, seeker will play for that audience. Right, and maybe even the Linkletter movie on some level. Cause it's I hope so. I, I wish it well. Then you have, you know, these people like A24 who are, who are actually getting movies out to millennial audiences and they want to go see those in theaters and sometimes they're not the most obvious sell. So this is like a really interesting time to kind of scrutinize how many different crowds uh, 
are looking at the movie theater experience and trying to decide if that's worth doing. I almost feel like the boomers are the ones who are getting more comfortable watching things on Netflix, and then there's a the younger audience that's sort of like, that's a given, you know, you, when, you, when you, your generation was reared on watching things on your, you know, iPad or whatever, that it's more exciting to go out and go, the movie seems like more of an event. You know, it's, it's, it's something that's more What exotic. A24 does is that they're really smart about picking movies that pop out, they that look Bird different. Here, for example. And I love Lady Bird, and they're going to do very well with and that. And Florida Project. Absolutely. So, do, you, do we want to open it up for questions? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What Raise are we your not hand. talking about? What are we not talking about? Because that's the thing. We need to fill in some gaps here. We have a question up front here. Let's go to this gentleman. Uh, you're not talking about uh, the Woody Allen film. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Ah, Anne has this this, uh, sort of sacred rule about not weighing in on movies that we haven't seen yet. But we can talk a little bit about Woody Allen as as a character, as sort of uh, somebody who I think, you know, his his brand has evolved, put it that way. And it's interesting to look at the way in which selling a Woody Allen movie may be, you know, more challenging now, right? Because, uh, you know, Woody Allen is sort of a... a, You know what you're going to get on some level, and yet... You know, at well, the, he's inconsistent, I would actually, say. Actually, I'm, I'm curious to know if there is a dispute about how to market the film, because I've noticed that most films have trailers, and his doesn't. It has a trailer. There's a Wonder Kate Wheel Win- has a trailer? It has a Kate Winslet trailer. But the fact that you didn't notice it, maybe that's an interesting kind of a I, thing. I was looking for it, and I didn't find well, it. Well, there, there are some trailers that go viral, and they're, you know, they're, they're big parts of a movie's marketing. Woody Allen, I don't think he needs a trailer, because he's sort of... There, there's, there's another element that compels you to go see a Woody Allen. So what do we expect from him? We expect someone like Kate Winslet to give a great performance. That's what it is. It's a question of... I think when Woody Allen's movies work the best is when great actors are able to take his script, which, to my mind, you hear Woody Allen. You hear his dialogue. And sometimes when it doesn't work, it's Woody Allen's dialogue, and it doesn't come to life. It doesn't become a really good film. But I have a lot of confidence in Kate Winslet, and I want to see what she does. Yeah, it was like with Blue Jasmine, right? Exactly. You just let, Kate Blanchett you ran with just it. let him go. You know, so so we'll, we'll we'll see to be continued, but I think that's one where you can kind of You're manage. Making a movie that has a lot of unknowns and a lot of anticipation around it. So it's always a question. The Cafe Society, yeah. Right, but then Midnight in Paris kind of surprised. I love that one. And the surprise element, you know, that it was so much stronger, I think, than people expected, just kept working, and and beyond the insularity of the festival world too, right? I mean, it was a most profitable Woody Allen movie of all time, won an Oscar, all that kind of stuff. So. You really never know, and maybe there is. Sometimes he hits it, something. and sometimes the actors hit it with him. Yeah. So to be continued on that one. Another question. Because let's get the microphone. Shorts. What yeah, do you want to know? Every festival I go to, I try to catch a shorts block, and some are great, and some are bizarre. It's just an eclectic mix. What do you think makes a good shorts block? And the New York shorts block is great here too. It's a really good question because short films are often the best films you'll see all year that nobody talks about, at least not on this level. I think award season is helpful in the sense that as we get closer to Oscar season, people like you are forced to watch them. You have no other choice. We ignore them at Sunday. It's my pleasure, but I just wait. I wait. It's true. A lot of these shorts qualify at festivals, and they they get juries, and they get played, and they get, um, there's a selection process that goes on, and I sort of wait. 
And I wish I had more time to sample all of them because whenever I get a chance, they're great. But you know, short films are, are, are really what film festivals can do great things for. I mean, there's a short film here, here called, I believe the, the title is Desparacitos, which I, I gave a prize to at Critics Week at Cannes this year, and it's a really touching film about uh, this woman who's the director made it about her father, and he's in every scene, and he's just sort of putting away his factory, and it's just a very sweet, uh, simple narrative. You could not imagine that in feature length. Form. So there's something specific to the, the short film film format that you know we can't you know just release something like that in theaters. It's ten minutes long, so it needs that festival context in order to be seen and appreciated at all. But then it also feeds into the awards conversation. If it's good enough, will it be submitted? Can it be contextualized in that sort of sense? I also think that you know it is possible for people to make a living making short films. There just aren't a lot of people who are willing to commit themselves to it. Don it's an entry is a way. It's a way of, of learning. Yeah. A lot of, and a lot of documentary filmmakers do shorts too, because sometimes they're not feature length material. Yeah, but the, the question about the curating a short film program is a really good one because I don't think it gets talked about that much. We talk so much about the big movies that are here, are there new movies here, and so forth. But getting a good short film lineup can make a big difference because it, it will stimulate more conversations about these movies. Any other questions? Hello. Hey, Thomas. Hi. Um, so, a couple of years ago, when Beasts of No Nation was in the awards conversation and it didn't really go as far as you know a lot of people hope it would, there was a lot of talk about you know Academy doesn't necessarily view Netflix as you know theatrical distributor, and there was resistance to it. So, I'm wondering if two years later, when they have all these films like Myrovis, Mudbound and first they killed my father. Is there a similar resistance, or do you think that evolved in the last You know, it's years? really funny. I got a, I got a screener. We get screeners because we're in very... Yeah, we got Okja oh, in the Okja mail. Oh, Okja too, yeah. And, and it was kind of funny to me, because first of all, I was thinking, how many people are going to get really excited about this DVD they got? I love Okja. <laughs> Okja is so... But it's a such a DVD great example a of what it, Netflix will do that no one else will ever do. It's sort of like remember that we did that. In yeah, a way. no, so and I think it should be considered. I love the idea that they're they're considering hostiles. You know, this Christian Bale movie, and and that they would put their money and their and their effort behind you know trying to to push some of these movies forward. My argument is that the secret of Academy's success is getting people to see your movie. So how do you take Mudbound, the New York Film Festival will help, but how do you take Mudbound and say, this is a movie that every single member of the Academy has to see? How do you do that? And in the old world, it was weeks and weeks and weeks, nothing replaces word of mouth at a theater. And I just don't know if Netflix can spend the money, hire the awards campaigners, get everybody to pay attention to this movie in the same way. I don't know if they can well, do it. Well, but remember the specific question that she was she had was now in compared to when Beasts of No Nation came out, which did not work at all. And that was embarrassing. Part of it was because they sent it out to theaters and, right. and it failed. It, it, it failed in theaters. So now they have a different. policy of one week, all of their movies out. come out one week, that's it. Probably in theaters that you never go to. She came back for a second week at the New Beverly. But you know, my, my understanding is that Okja actually screened here and a lot of people came out to it. 
And I think that kind of trivia is really valuable because what it tells you is that this is a company that's now getting behind films and filmmakers people want to see and support. And they, they certainly are in a better place in terms of getting... They're getting better service. at marketing, and marketing is the key. Yeah, so we shall see. Right. It's sort of a tooth and nail kind of operation, trying to get respect in this town. So, over here in the hat. Um, uh, thank you. I wonder what you think about um, the effect of Netflix and, for that matter, Amazon, as far as how much courage we're allowed to employ in making documentaries. Can we say a little more than we can because there's a little bit more competition out there for these big companies who want to look legitimate and substantial and be able to tell a story that people are really waiting for? Well, notably, Netflix won its first Oscar in February for a film called White Helmets, sure. which was not an easy film to get made. Doc short. Get, yeah, the doc, documentary short, but it was a 40-minute short shot in Syria. You know, not, you know, people were risking their lives going there and doing that. It's not the kind of thing that a lot of more traditional kind of, just on the level of financing, people would have committed to. And I think there, there is maybe on some level some sort of shift going on in terms of the kinds of documentaries that are being supported by some of the new players. I mean, you look at some of the documentaries, the shorts that are coming out on Netflix right now, like this one that's out that has a, it's a relationship to Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, Long Shot. I mean, that's not the sort of thing that would traditionally get made, but now it's everywhere and it's going to get a lot of attention. And I think there's, there's more peculiar choices that are being made, more idiosyncratic choices. I still don't see Netflix making a movie like Act of Killing. You know, the, the, the more kind of controversial right. films are harder. So the feature documentary division of Netflix under Lisa Nishimura is doing extraordinary work. Uh, they're doing The Keepers, Icarus. There's a, a long, long list of really good too. movies. And um, what's great about Netflix is that they're able to play around with what format something's going to be in so that it's not just a two-hour film, or, or it, it can be a serial, like The Keepers, it can be a procedural, it can be anything that the material calls for, and I think that they're doing great work. I really think 13th was extraordinary and any number of other films that they've done. But they're not going to do a film like Faces Places, which is this completely charming... I don't know why you're saying that. I don't know why you're saying they're not going to do something. I mean, they're going to... Well, they I didn't. think they, it's I, Cohen, Cohen it, it may be Cohen Media, but Cohen Media has a relationship with the French cinema, and they en ended up going with Agnes Varda. Yeah. yeah, so foreign language may not be what Netflix is up to right now in the right. doc space. They certainly are getting more. I think risky. they're open-minded. I don't think they're saying we're not going to do that. No, I didn't mean it was a diss. I'm just saying they're not quite there yet. Faces they're... Places is the movie I really am rooting for in the doc yeah, yeah, race. Yeah, yeah, go Agnes Varda. Any other Anything questions? Else? Eugene in the corner. Always good to have a Eugene question. You called me out, so I have to jump in. <laughs> uh, no, I, I thought it was interesting to hear your difference of opinion or your ideas, difference of ideas on the future of theatrical, theatrical experience. Going a step further, I would love to see if you two would put your, sort of take out your crystal ball. What do you think is the future of film festivals? Where do you, where do you think film festivals are going? Where do you think they should be going? I think that the film festivals, as I was sort of indicating with Netflix, are more important than ever. And more important than, um, and they will continue to be, because if the theatrical experience is going to be um, fading, diminishing, 
um, threatened, and I believe it is. I'm sorry, I look at the box office every weekend. It is not a pretty picture. Um, it's well, just, you, you, cannot, story, you cannot deny the numbers. You cannot deny the trends. And as much as I love the theatrical experience, I think festivals are now providing it and making it at a very high level and a very uh, pristine level that people can appreciate. And it, it's just going to be, and festivals are growing, and they're growing on a local level and an international level. Well, I think what's interesting that you're seeing, seeing on a local level is a lot of film societies that, that sort of, they do the festival as sort of their flagship thing, but then they show things That's all true. year round. They Seattle, galvanize the community. San Francisco, Exactly. So there, there's something really valuable about developing these hubs and Austin. also, yeah, and, and also being able to reflect the nature of the market. I mean, we've seen more TV programming, for example, at a lot of film festivals lately, and sometimes it seems sort of shoehorned in there, but then other places, like I think the, the Toronto primetime section, there's a real sense of curation going on there because it's international, there's a dialogue going on, sometimes you see even a little marketplace activity. The VR stuff, I don't totally get in a festival context, but I get why a festival tries to represent on that front. Well, just anyone who had the opportunity to see the Inuritu Carney in Arena was uh, able to experience something extraordinary, and that it's was a can. That was a can. It's something. VR. It's, it's something, but, it, but, it, but it's interesting to think of festivals as being this sort of forward-looking right. place where we can bring the conversation about movies and other related variables into one place and just continue to have conversations about that. Do we have time for one more question? One Any? last question. Has to be Anyone? a really good one though. So we're setting the bar super duper high. I know I saw some other hands earlier. Yeah, okay. we'll go back to you, why not? What I, meant by, what I meant by courage is really controversy. Uh, telling it like it is seems to be filtering into the population, and for that matter, into the, uh, into the TV. Charlottesville, you had Trump come out and say the fascists are nice guys, and this uh, football thing managed to get the question of shooting black people uh, into the public last weekend. I mean, that's unusual. The, the media generally doesn't uh, speak that freely. So um, can we expect a bit more, uh, I guess, controversy and courage by the filmmaker being rewarded but with the additional competition at the, the HBO level, Amazon, Netflix? I think it's, it's a really interesting question, which is how can the film community be you know, as responsive and, and sort of combative as the people who are challenging you know, serious questions related to our freedoms, to our values, and so forth. It goes beyond film culture and it has to do more with storytelling, I think. You know, after Charlottesville, Vice News produced this incredible special within a day that really, I think, was the ultimate rejoinder to those awful people. I mean, one of these guys became a, you know, he, he, the toughest character of that thing became so notorious, he was a crybaby by the next day. That's the kind of thing that I think film can actually really do, which is sort of, Take, take control of the images back from the people who are trying to manipulate them and show things that they, they really are. And documentaries are a place where real journalism is going forward, whether or not it's happening at the official network level. I think journalists are happening on the documentary level. So you have to get back to a dinner, I think. But thanks all for it. So supervision. <laughs> Tough life.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.